Hello and welcome back to the latest quarantine edition of the Stadio podcast. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Why do you have to add quarantine? Because it is. We're just being real. Listen, it's just it being, is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. We're not sugarcoating it. Um, to be honest, all podcasts are quarantine. You're just stuck in a room. <laughs> oh my God. Probably with someone that you don't want to be stuck in there with. <laughs> Actually, men were made for podcasts. The tendency to socially distance ourselves. Oh it's better God. for the wider world if more men do podcasts, which means you can gather more men in the same room and they don't have to cause havoc on the rest of the world and then you can just not listen to them you can actually yeah, exactly just, you can just jack up the figures <laughs> oh my seriously goodness. man there's going to be a revolution one day of a women's group that's just going to go around barricading all the podcast studios when people are recording no no the world even... is just going to instantly get better no it's even <laughs> no it's going to be even deeper than that. first of all that's a brilliant concept but secondly i think it's even more, it's even deeper than that what they'll do is they won't barricade them They'll just jack the figures so men will think that people are engaging. They'll have bots. They'll have bots ask questions. So men are going to be like, wow, our podcasts are doing so well. And they will, of course, men only boast about the podcast to other men. There'll be this whole sort of ecosystem of men boasting to men about imaginary stats. Then everyone else can just carry on fine. Fluffing the stats. Exactly. <laughs> For the greater good. Our stats are dreadful, by the way. So uh, <laughs> just want to clarify. <laughs> Oh my we, pro- we, we know all our listeners by name. Listen, do you know what they listen? What I, we may not be the biggest podcast, but I have cousins who listen to my podcast, and I'm really proud of. All that. right, show off. No, do you know I'm really proud of that? Listen, I'm an old man. I'm 40, right? So if you've got like young cousins listening to your podcast, it means you're not such a sad old man. So that's not really showing off. That's just saying like, you know, you always have this fear as an older cousin that you're a bit uncool that like the young cousins don't want to hang out with you. So when they actually get in touch, you go, Oh, Musa, like I heard this thing. You're like, Oh my God, they actually, <laughs> they actually like me. <laughs> you know why they've started engaging with your work? Why is that? It's because you teamed up with me. That's what it is. Now that's the humble brag right there. That- Making Musa cool again. That is the humble. While they're in, in the building. You can't humble brag under my <laughs> brag. You can't do that. That's not how it works. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let's, let's I'm talk fiery about, today. Let's talk about, yeah, you are. I'm ready to go. You are. I'm ready for war. Oh my God. Oh my God. Before we get going, this will be the last one that we're doing on this schedule. We're going to return to Mondays proper yep. next week. So we're going to, we're going to be recording Monday and Thursday, I reckon. Yeah. We're just shunting it back a little bit to the old schedule because now there's football back. And we have to watch it. I'm not sure I feel about the return though. Like I'm ambivalent. I'm happy that, well, no, I'm not. Well, should we do a recap for anyone who may have missed, may have missed the news. So if you haven't seen the German parliament gave the green light for the, the DFB and the DFL to resume the Bundesliga and Schweizer Bundesliga and the third and fourth leagues as well. They gave them the green light to pick their date and the authorities decided to use the earliest possible date, which is a return this coming weekend. Already, there have been some positive tests come back from players throughout the leagues. And they have this whole protocol that anyone who gets a positive test goes into quarantine for two weeks. There's a lot to unpack. There is. There's a lot. So that's the gist of it. Basically, football, in quote marks, is returning in Germany this weekend. So... God, we're actually going to have to talk about football again. I know, but I'm, I'm anxious though. I mean, look, I mean... I am as well, because you can't make shit up. 
we're going to have to stop making shit up and actually talk about what happens now. It's got me this far in life. God, I've been cruising for two months. It's got me this far. No. The catfish podcast, the catfish era is over. Oh, we're the catfish. Yeah. We, are, we are the biggest catfish. But what I will say though is, look, I'm anxious about the return of the Bundesliga. As we were saying just before we came on air, um, the infection rate in Berlin has jumped in the last few days because, you know, the, the restrictions have been relaxed on what people can do, where they can go. and I had a bit of a cycle around town yesterday with a friend of mine. We just went 30k actually. We did 30k around town and just basically hadn't done any cycling like that in years, frankly. It was really good. But what we did notice was that in the local park, which two weeks ago had been quite quiet, was fairly rammed with people. And I was like, this isn't the gatherings people talked about. These aren't like gatherings of like a couple of people. This is like full swing birthday parties. Like you might as well, you wouldn't have known there'd been a pandemic on. So I'm nervous about football returning in that context, like where the wider context is people are understandably a bit more relaxed coming out of their houses than stuck at home for six weeks. But like, this thing is still out there, you know? And I was a bit concerned to see that Dinamo Dresden, their bottom of the second, the Bundesliga second, so the kind of the equivalent of the English championship. They've been quarantined for two weeks and now they can't play their tie next week. So that puts them as a disadvantage. They're the relegation zone, which means that if the other team's game goes ahead, they've got a game in hand because Dinamo have been observing the rules properly. So that, that really concerns me because by doing the responsible thing, you're being disadvantaged. And then we had um, Nevin Sabotic who came out, the Union Berlin player, saying that players were only informed about the return of the Bundesliga after the decision had been taken. So players who are the ones providing the spectacle haven't been consulted and that to me that that kind of um that sits very uneasily with me to be honest well it's returning under strict conditions so first of all the entire bench has to wear face masks during the game they can be temporarily removed to like convey instructions and stuff like that but they're only allowed to be taken off if you're one and a half meters away from the nearest person, which is the 1.5 meter rule is is the thing that's been constant in Germany mm. as the, the kind of social distancing yeah. benchmark. They are going to space the benches out. No one is sat directly next to each other. They are limiting the amount of time that you can be in the dressing room before the game. The players are going to come out at different times. No handshakes, no celebrations. No spitting, they said. No team buses. They have to now arrive in three or four different vehicles, depending on the personnel. Mm. They have to stay in hotels before the game, obviously, which they do anyway, but they have a really strict protocol with that. Face masks outside of their own individual hotel room at all times. No PlayStation against each other kind of thing, or no, no touching other players, mobiles, tablets, PlayStations, all of this stuff. They're going to get tested twice a week week I do believe and if any team tests positive then they'll go into a quarantine period which I think is set around two weeks but it will depend on the region because in Germany it's a federal system so each region is able to some degree to lift their own restrictions there's talk about potentially putting substitutes behind the dugout in order to maximise the distance between them so they're doing I mean they're taking Precautions that actually, you know, if you look at them individually and overall, they all sound quite sensible. But the heart of this is, I think, I think the player consultation is difficult because these all sound sensible, but it's about bringing people on board. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I 
actually shouldn't be speaking a single syllable on this to an extent. It's just when you say that you're going to bring football back as one of the things that's important to have you know, for, for public mental health, because it's good for people to have a spectacle and you're not consulting people providing the spectacle, you know, at some level it's like, well, how about the mental health of the players? And the, that's my only issue with it. And don't get me wrong. I'm only saying all this because when we get into discussing which teams will be fun to watch, I want listeners to be absolutely clear. And of course you do that. We are, we're not just treating this as a normal spectacle. We are sort of trying to pay tribute to the concessions that a lot of people are going to be making for our entertainment. That's how I feel about it anyway. So it's my favourite football league in the world, Bundesliga. Obviously I've missed football. It's the first major league to return and yet I feel really uneasy about it. Right, yeah. There are a number of reasons why people have called for it to return. Obviously, from a sporting sense, there's a, there's often an argument about completing the season. The season has yeah. to be fairly completed, but it's not going to be fairly completed. Yeah. The rest of the season isn't fair. Right. It's not fair on the teams that have to play their home games with empty fans, whereas they've played away with full stadiums. Yeah. It's not fair that, like you suggested before, in the case of Dinamo Dresden, that they then create a fixture backlog if some positive tests come through, obviously that's the right thing to do, but it's not necessarily fair that the clubs are, and the players are being thrust into a situation here that it's just about getting it done, basically. Right, There's right. no, I think it's, that's, that's just it, to get it done. And, and the DFL and the DFB, I think, have said that they want to get the season completely done by the end of June they may let the playoffs so there's a, in, in Germany between the Bundesliga and the, and the second Bundesliga yeah. there's a relegation playoff between the third place well third from bottom in the Bundesliga and then the first team outside the promotion spot in the second division so that's and then whoever wins that over two legs gets to play in the Bundesliga so they want those they, they said they may let those playoffs drift into July yeah. but already they're talking about potentially merging the, the third and fourth leagues cancelling them and merging them into two 18-team leagues that will be regional. Because if you think about that, in a sense, that's actually quite a good idea for next season because it reduces the cost of travel for clubs. Yeah. Also in terms of spread, like if you've got something confined, yeah. to, if you've got games confined to a region, mm. then you know what I mean? In terms of, in that sense, having games confined to a region means, because a big problem in Germany is, of course, is you, you made a great point about this being a federal system, you've got different states. Outbreaks are in really bad in particular states. And one of the reasons that Germany's done fairly well is it's confined people to those states where the outbreak's been bad. So I think at least the next 18 months or whatever, a couple of years, confine, confining matches to certain regions, it's quite quite progressive or quite forward thinking, I think. Yeah, I think. and also there's a really good thing about there. there'll be more local derbies, so therefore the game should be yeah. more intense. So this isn't the Bundesliga returning, I don't think. This isn't football returning as we know it. Right. Or football as an entity really returning at all. Yeah. It's more of an industry that is slowly starting up again under very different circumstances and under strict regulations in order to secure its future survival. Yeah. That's okay. basically all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sound like a bit of a buzzkill here, but it's not going to be the Bundesliga. If you take out all of the political, the health reasons, the financial reasons, Purely from a sporting sense, it's a real shame that all of the world's eyes are going to be on the Bundesliga at a time when it's not able to deliver to like a quarter of its full capacity. Yeah. In terms of what makes it such an incredible league. Right. So 
if I'm being really honest, I think it's too soon to return. I think so as well, to be honest. I think two months is not long enough in the current situation. I would agree with all of that for pretty much the same reasons. Going back to what you were saying about the players not really having a say, that is a major consistent theme that's going throughout all of this. Mm. Derek Ray's a really good follow on Twitter, at Raycom, R-A-E-C-O-M-M. He often commentates on the Bundesliga world feed. He posted an English, a rough English translation of a, of a piece from um, a local paper in Sachsen-Anhalt about Magdeburg. So Magdeburg are in the third division and um, their striker, Søren Betram, came out basically to criticise the potential return of the third league on the 27th of May. In Germany, the DFL, which is the Deutsche Fußball League, they organised the Bundesliga and the Zweiter Bundesliga. The DFB, so the Deutsche Fußball Bund, which is the equivalent to the FA, organised the third, fourth, regional. They control the Frauen Bundesliga as well. It's not the DFL. There are these two organisations at play who often obviously work together. The Pokal, for example, the cup competition is the DFB Pokal. Anyway, so Bertram says the headline is that we are only puppets. I won't read the whole thread because I'd, I'd encourage people to go and check Derek's stuff on this because he's really good at just quickly translating stuff. It insinuates that the DFB have really pushed them to continue and that the players aren't involved at all in any discussions. And this is where he says we're only puppets. And he says on the hygiene plan, it means that players have to go into quarantine and be sealed off in a hotel. I would be interested to see how DFB officials felt if it was they who were isolated from their family for a week. Now, the problem is that the DFB plan is based on the DFL plan, but the DFL plan is based on bigger venues with bigger resources. The finances of the, the teams in the third league aren't the same. They can't afford all of this stuff. They can't afford to put all of these restrictions in place. The club as a whole, Magdeburg, are one of the clubs that are, are quite up for cancelling the third league season. Magdeburg are 15th of 20 teams in the third league, and they probably won't go down. I mean, they're quite a way away, so they shouldn't. Mm. But still, there's a big split in the division about whether to cancel the season or not. Yeah. But the CEO, Mario Kalnick, said that he estimates it would cost the club €740,000 approximately just to finish the season. And bear in mind, that's without any gate receipts, which is something that clubs at that level are completely reliant on. Right. Another complication at play is that local regulations mean that Magdeburg can't fully train as a team or play until the 27th of May. So you've got a team that's been quarantined, not match fit, not involved in training, only allowed to legally return to training under local health guidelines, the date that the the league is expected to resume. It's going to create injustice. Who are, this is the thing, right? This is the way I look at this. This situation forced upon the leagues by external circumstances is going to upset people regardless. It's going to upset, there's going to be people who are unfair. What this is really about at this point is the extent of unfairness. Like, will this be an existential level of unfairness? So will it put clubs out of business, which until this point were being well run, but just frankly, just didn't have the financial firepower to last this thing out? Or will it be unfair in terms of public health, jeopardizing public health, like oldest football results? So if a club goes down because its, it's players aren't fit, and they can't train together and they get relegated. Well, you know what? Actually, that's a thing which can be remedied with parachute payments later on. They can make special concessions. Say, actually, your players weren't fully fit. Yeah, you got relegated. It's awful, but your club will survive. So actually, like worst things happens at sea. Like worst comes to worst. If teams get relegated because of this, 
it is not the end of the world because these are exceptional circumstances. And we've had leagues resume after traumatic periods in national history before. We've had leagues restarting after wars. You know, we've had this. This is not an unprecedented thing for a league to be stopped because of external trauma. What is very important is the most compassionate approach possible must be taken. When I say compassion, I mean on and off the field. So in relation to the public help, in relation to the finances, and I don't want to sound harsh here, but for a long time, a lot of people have been talking about the trickle-down effect of football clubs and how there hasn't been development funding at the grassroots. They've been talking for many, many years about how the biggest clubs don't subsidise the poorest, or actually, not, not even to criticise the biggest clubs, the authorities in football who ultimately regulate the largest clubs, right? So let's take this above the heads of even individual clubs. Let's take it above the heads of even Bayern and take it to the DFB and so on and the DFL. Those officials, those institutions regulate this whole thing. And it's not specific to Germany, but across football, if there were more finances at the lower level of the game that people have been crying out for for decades, they would be better equipped to weather this storm. And this is why they were asking for those finances because stuff like this always happens. If it wasn't coronavirus, it could have been something else. I don't want to be all, oh, coronavirus has exposed inequalities. At the same time, I'm like, well, it has. And there would always be problems because it's affecting clubs all across the football pyramid and structure. But the financial challenges should not be this severe. They shouldn't be this severe, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. It's worth pointing out that Dortmund, Bayern, Leipzig and Leverkusen created a solidarity fund between them right. for smaller German football clubs, a 20 million euro fund. Right. It's to be cited by the DFL committee, executives committee how it gets distributed, but they did that off their own back. There was right. no pressure put on them from the DFL. So it's basically the four clubs that qualified for the Champions League this season. There's been nothing like that really in England, not that I know of. No. And I think, look, here's the thing. Clubs are naturally in competition with each other. So when clubs are coming together, when natural competitors are coming together and taking more of a leadership position than those above them in the pyramid in terms of institutions, then you've got to be concerned. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we said this before to an extent. It's great when players take the lead. At the same time, they also should be some of the last ones to take the lead. I read a piece recently talking about wages being the biggest expenditures of football clubs, but I'm like, yeah, but income, income is what this is about. Expenditures, like you can spend money on anything, but it's about club income. It's about institutional income. So I just have to say that like, I'm still a bit concerned where the focus of this conversation is. Um, and the reason why I think the focus so far is still on clubs and players, Ryan, is because I don't think people have fully grasped the nature of the threat. And this sounds super dramatic, but this is an institutional problem. This is an existential problem, potentially. And I just think a lot of people haven't fully clocked. In the same way that people in the park the other day were having like birthday parties, 15, 20 people and raving and like having a great old time. And I'm not hating them for that. I'm just saying, we, we wouldn't say anything. We're just like, I wish you were aware of the nature of what this is. This is more serious than you anticipate. This isn't just a couple of like fixtures being cancelled. This is this is long term financial damage. Mm. I don't want to labour the point too much. I just want to sort of make clear that watching these games, of course, I'll I'll be enjoying it. You know, because I love the Bundesliga. I love seeing my favourite players in action. At the same time, there's that whole concern about the financial aid that football is receiving. And if it is a great institution and it's a social institutions, we'll get into this in the second part about 
the great social institutions these clubs are, then protect it like one. And I say this because, look, banks got bailed out in the financial crash in 08, right? There was a load of money made available to banks. We should see a certain scale of bailout, I think, for clubs at a certain level. Yeah, there's a weird thing involved with football and the perception of football that it's like we've said before when Matt Hancock was going after footballers to do their part and Mm. people look at the club finances and assume they're these gigantic businesses where it's something like Greg's earns more in a month than like Man United does in a year. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. It's just interesting to see who gets asked to contribute and who doesn't. Oh because, yeah, hundred percent. Well, we, we haven't we haven't seen people calling for. On the whole, people have made billions or millions of finance to chip in and do their part. We haven't really heard that. Like when yeah, they Matt, do, Han- Matt Hancock's not yeah. calling up Tory donors and telling them to do their part. Yeah, he's not telling hedge fund partners to give them. No, right. no, he's not doing that. No. And they've got far more money to do this. So I'm just a bit skeptical, and I want to lodge that objection because in the months to come, football is going to receive a disproportionate backlash. Whichever way this plays out, yeah, it will get a disproportionate backlash. So I just want to, yeah, I, yeah, I want to say one thing before we go to a break, and we'll return with the more positive Bundesliga stuff after the break. But it just feels very, very fragile. It's very brave from the DFB and the DFL. Well, is it brave or is it a little bit silly? I don't know. They're often the same thing. I wrote a little mini thread about this on Twitter the other day, and it's quite a lukewarm take because I'm not necessarily against the Bundesliga coming back because I don't have all the if the information to know whether it's a good call or not. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not involved at the DFL or the DFB. I don't, I'm not privy to the more focused finances of various clubs to know whether they can afford to come back or not throughout the whole pyramid. I don't know this information. These people do and they're going ahead with it. So therefore, I just hope that it goes okay. Right. Because if it doesn't, then it's all going to unravel very, very quickly. I've never wanted to be more wrong when it comes to football. I don't think. Oh, I, w- I, I want nothing more than the season to be completed, the games to be great, people to stay healthy, clubs to receive revenue, and all of this to be okay. But that's because I just want every, like, I want this to kind of, the whole thing to go smoothly. I want the whole recovery process to go as smoothly as possible and as many people as possible to be okay. Right. I think this is the thing, as much as we love it, football is no different in this sense. And it concerns me the lack of consultation of the players. Yeah. And I would just round this up by saying one more time, I'm not sure we're necessarily against it coming back. It's just very, I can't speak for you, obviously, but like for me, it feels a little bit soon. And it's more of a, my point of view on this is coming from a place of concern as opposed to objection. Yeah. I think I'm slightly more on the objection side. I guess just because and it's very anecdotal, but just being out the last few days and seeing the infection rate rising, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. That's completely what I would see. Like that, that backs up the official stats on the infection rate rising back up like what you're seeing out there. And I just hope that, I hope it's okay. I'm the same. All yeah. I've got to say. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back with some non-dramatic stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I can't promise it won't be dramatic because that's Oh no. <laughs> Save your hot takes. <laughs> All right, back from the break and let's do something a little bit more chipper because 
that kind of hurt my head a little bit. It's been a while since we've done a a long, deep dive on that's the right. subject. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. So where are we going now? We're still talking about the Bundesliga, but we're talking about happier Bundesliga stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you see, so we got a lot of people getting in touch to say, well, I say a lot, I say two, <laughs> getting in touch to say, if we're going to support Bundesliga teams, I think the first was Daniel Tasker saying, if we're going to support teams, who would you recommend? And can mm, can I come in with a point here? Yeah, you don't need to support anyone. You can just enjoy it. Well, I was going to come in with a, a similar point. I was going to say, look, yeah. like I said, when you're looking at teams to support or look for, think of what you enjoy in football, and then just watch games which involve those teams. Because, for example, there are some teams which don't win very much. But if they're playing, you're always guaranteed to see something good, either on the pitch or in the press conference, because you'll either have a really great piece of play or the manager, because a lot of the Bundesliga coaches of this generation, are very fortunate, are quite worldly people, will say oh, something just, amazing. Yeah. You're, so, like, I've, said example, this, I've said this before, but it's right. the highest percentage of managers wearing jeans in any major league, I think. The Bundesliga. Absolutely. And, I don't, and right. I don't have the facts to back that up. So please don't count. Take it on but, the stadium authority. You see a lot of smart cashness yeah. on the on the uh, well, not even just. You see a lot of cash cash stuff, you know, a lot of a lot of club wear, and a lot of jeans and a club hoodie or something like that. It's all very, it's good dudes. It's all very, it's all very laid back. So this is what I was thinking about teams to watch. I just felt it was more like take this as a moment, not to be, I suppose, tribal, but just to say, you know what? If I see a bunch of fixtures on, I might check that team out because that team tends to have, for example. Let's say like Bayern Munich are playing someone who like Bayern Munich often win games. But if you want to watch a game in which they might have to really fight to get a victory, you might say, actually watch the Hoffenheim game because that result will be quite closely fought. When a lot of people look at the Bundesliga, they'll look at the top few teams. They'll look at Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig and Gladbach. But I think the beauty of the Bundesliga is there are teams that don't necessarily get to the top or even in the top four, but who put up a really good show against other teams and who play really exciting open football. And they make the Bundesliga the league it is because they're really exciting. So actually, one of your favourite teams, you mentioned Freiburg, who are very interesting on and off the field. And you watch them a lot, so you can maybe give the listeners a bit of a preview. Well, no, I would, I would expand it to, to a wider conversation of teams, really. I think the thing that I would suggest for people is just have a little read-up of, of the teams. Yeah, yeah. Because it's obviously going to be a little bit weird watching them because you, don't, you won't get the full atmosphere. Right. And that may have an effect. I imagine it will have an effect on some of the playing style. And especially in the first few weeks where there's going to be players playing their way back into fitness and stuff like that. What the Bundesliga is so great for is that so many clubs have a really distinct personality. Yeah. We've mentioned it before with someone like Werder Bremen having a very, very strong anti-racism, very left-wing kind of political stance. And a number of Bundesliga Bundesliga clubs do. So it would be really worth just having a little read if you've got an afternoon and kind of see, basically, for example, if you want to be a real curveball, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say be a Freiburg fan. If you want to, uh, I don't think, well, it used to be hipster. I don't think it is anymore. It's the kind of like underrated, not really underrated. Like Union, for example. Yeah. Union are, are great. They, they're 11th in the Bundesliga. They probably won't go down. They're 12 points clear of the automatic relegation spot and they're above their city rivals Hertha by four points if you do want your friends who are knowledgeable about the Bundesliga to constantly take the piss out of you become a Hertha fan 
That's right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> if you want everyone who knows about the Bundesliga to really hate you, and you quite like being a contrarian, and you feed off other people telling you that you know you're bad, you could be a Leipzig fan. Oh, that's be, a big sh- that's a big shout to go there. But you're right. You could be, be a, right. you could be a Hoffenheim fan. Right. They are two of the least popular Bundesliga clubs from other fans, along with Bayern Munich. But obviously Bayern is because of the... The dominance as The well. dominance. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Like the protests against Hoffenheim and Leipzig are bigger than any other club in the Bundesliga because they're two clubs who have kind of circumvented the 50 plus one rule of ownership. People who are super, super new to the Bundesliga may think that RB Leipzig stands for Red Bull Leipzig. It doesn't. Honestly. It's a clever play, though. It's a clever play what they did with that, though. Honestly, guys, RB has <laughs> nothing to do Honestly. with Red Bull. <laughs> it stands for Rasenballsport. A convenient abbreviation. If you want hope and heartbreak in each equal measure, be a Dortmund fan. <laughs> yes. If you want it to be entertaining at all points, I would say there are a lot of shouts for Gladbach because Gladbach love developing young players. And they have the most handsome coach in the league. They do, and there's quite a few handsome coaches in the league, so that's saying a lot. There is. Yeah, uh, Marco Rosa, the man. Gladbach coach. Very handsome man. Played under Jurgen Klopp at Mainz as well. And coaches in a similarly beautiful style. Bundesliga's not even back yet. I'm thirsting on Marco Rosa. So <laughs> something's never changed. <laughs> and I'm straight. Oh, they all say that. Um, here's a shout for the... Uh, <laughs> no one's 100% straight. That's true. No one is. Yeah, I'm definitely not. <laughs> give the people what they want Ryan sexual fluidity on a podcast where do you get that on a football podcast is that how you came about your social identity by giving the people what they want music oh <laughs> uh, well they, they, don't, they don't seem to want it really but anyway um, moving on moving on <laughs> a window a window into the tragedy a window into the tragedy um, other <laughs> sexual distancing sexual Good distancing Lord. Listen, practice it for the good of all, for the greater good. Sexual distancing and social healing. We've come from, come from Marvin Gaye, exactly. <laughs> um, looking at Bayer Leverkusen as a club who are quite fun, where they give young players a platform, obviously specifically Kai Havertz doing really well there, but they've got some really interesting players. I always love these clubs you've got. You know, you look down the squad list and go, oh, that person's had an interesting career. I imagine that the dressing was quite interesting because you've got Charles Arangu, who's one of my favourite midfielders. Um, the Chile player who never really got the massive move I, I thought he might get at one point. And he's in a dressing with Kai Havertz. I just think that training ground must be really fun. Like, Lucas Alario as well. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, you got just fun. It's just a fun club, Leverkusen. Peter Bosch as well as manager. Yeah. And Borussia Dortmund coach who when Bosch ball ignites, it is super fun. When it implodes, it's also super fun. It's like, it's, like, it's like Bielsa ball. Like you watch them play once and you think, oh my goodness, if they play this way every week, they'll win the league. And then you think, actually, it's impossible to play this way every week. It's like yeah. a hyper-caffeinated version of Pochettino's Spurs with a lot less defensive responsibility. It's thrilling. If you're really into having numerous turned corners never end up in a destination <laughs> I'd oh potentially god. suggest being a Schalke fan oh my god <laughs> Schalke do have a kind of they do have that mid-2000 Spurs energy and I don't say trying to be harsh it's more like they've got a great bunch of they've got they've got a useful bunch of players they are sort of overshadowed by the regional rival but the derbies are always great like that's the thing actually that 
That regional derby, Schalke Dortmund, is unbelievable. It is the first Dortmund fixture. Is the it's, so it's the Rivier derby. It's on Saturday, I do believe. It's a horrible first fixture. Isn't I've been. I mean, I've fixture. been to that derby last year, where Dortmund lost four two at home, and it was a gnarly game. <laughs> A gnarly game. <laughs> I've got a there friend. Was so much beer so, flying up in the air in disgust. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was amazing. I've got a friend actually whose uh, parents support different sides of the divide. So the mother wow. is a massive. Yeah, the mother is a massive Schalke fan, and the dad is hardcore Dortmund. And she's like, Moose, you don't want to talk about yeah, it. I, she's like, it's just. <laughs> I think she kind of likes it. But actually, looking back, she didn't tell me what her affiliation was. She's telling me all these stories, but she never once said who she supported. And maybe that's because of a lifetime of having to be impartial. I'd, I'd, honestly, I, I, there is a Bundesliga club for everyone. Indeed there is. There really is. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd, without sounding too corny, follow your heart, you know? That's how I became mm-hmm. a Pacers fan, really. Didn't want to become a Pacers fan. I just fell for them. Indeed. And they fell for you. No, they didn't. <laughs> I'm sure they're aware of you. I reckon that's it for the Bundesliga stuff. We will obviously be talking about the games this weekend. All right, let's dive into a couple of questions before we go. Yeah. This one from John Squires on, on Twitter. How alert are you on a scale of one to 10? <laughs> 12. I'm always ready. Always ready. I have to be alert doing a podcast with you. That's true, actually. There's always something going on. Before we even start. <laughs> troubleshooting. Sadly. <laughs> that's actually my job role on my Stadio business cards. It just says head of troubleshooting. Exactly. The wolf. So I have a wolf emoji. I'm just here to sort it out. Right, we've got time for a couple of questions. We're not going to dive into the deeper ones, although thanks for sending them in, but there were too many really good ones that we wanted to answer. So maybe we'll try and save those for Thursday or we'll open up another mailbag. I want to touch on this question from Kunlea Jo, regular <laughs> question asker, because I know you wanted to answer this question. Yeah. He said, what's the least entertaining match any of you guys have ever watched? Immediately, I know what it is. It's in my soul. Ukraine, Switzerland, World Cup 2006, nil-nil after extra time and three-nil on penalties to the Ukraine. And it is the worst, I think it may be the worst game of international football considering the stakes of all time. It was absolutely horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Wow. Irredeemable. Someone even commented. Someone even commented. You know, the funny thing was I tweeted about it a few years ago and the response was absolutely overwhelming. It was like a confession. It was like when I spoke out, hi, I'm Musa Kwonga and I'm still suffering from Ukraine, Switzerland. It was like this mass outpouring of grief and people were like, oh my goodness, I really feel seen. People felt seen. Someone said, I remember. <laughs> Someone said it was so traumatic. They remember watching on the BBC. <laughs> The editor went straight to penalties. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Have you ever heard that before? A game where there are highlights of the BBC and the highlights go straight to penalties. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a thing of rare horror. It's exquisite horror. And I've sometimes thought to myself over the years, was it so bad that it was good? I was like, no, actually, it was actually just so bad that it was so bad. I honestly can't think of one specific game. There are a number of Arsenal games where I wish I'd, I wish I could get that time back. There have been many, many Arsenal games where I've sat through and I've just been like, this is one of the driest things I've seen. 
But for me, it's funny because I think the, the least entertaining game has to be something more than mere tedium because there are so mm. many Van Hal games I've forgotten in the United era, Van Hal. But I think for a game to be truly awful, mm. there has to be something timeless about it. And the thing about Ukraine and Switzerland was so horrifying was that even when it to penalties, there was this fear that the game would last forever because people kept missing and there was this, this horror of like, what if we're trapped in the singularity? What if we are in that, what if we are in that parallel universe, that parallel universe where everyone else is wandering along and everyone else is aging and dying and we're like, we're trapped in the stadium watching our phones and like, you know, it's the year 2100 and like the goalkeepers have both taken penalties 11 times and we're still locked in a deadlock. And I think there was a thing about it as well, the privilege of witnessing it in real time was something special. You know, like the first time you go to the cinema and you see a truly great movie. I think seeing that was the inverse. It was like when you're, when you're sitting there watching Ukraine, Switzerland, and it's so compelling, you've got to finish it. You have to finish watching it. Yeah. The only game that was worse, no, the only game that was as bad, okay, as this, was when Spurs played Sheffield Wednesday on Sky years ago. Spurs played Sheffield Wednesday, it was nil-nil. And neither team had got a shot on target. And as the game went on, and as the game grew in horror, people started flocking into the TV room. I think it was at uni to watch the game. And as everyone walked in, they were like, as each person, as each new person walked in, we were like, neither team's had a shot on target. And in the final minutes, <laughs> one of the strikers winds up a shot and is about to get a shot on target. And this hero, this defender slides in, <laughs> gets the block. And there was a cheer. <laughs> there was a huge cheer in the TV room as if a goal had been scored. <laughs> the game ended nil-nil. And I remember the joy to this day. This is like 20 years later. I remember the joy to this day. Spurs wow. Sheffield Wednesday. That was special. Amazing. So yeah, those are my two games of all, the two worst games of all time. I replied to your tweet about that saying, was that that one time you came to watch me play? You scored a hat-trick, didn't you, in that game? Was it a hat-trick? No, I, didn't. I scored one and assisted one in that game. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was a good game. You're a good footballer. I enjoyed that. Thanks, Dad. I'm an old man. I can say these things. Well, from old man to old pan, we're playing out. Ooh. Oh, segue. You like that segue. You're not the that, only one who can do segues around here, Musa. So good. So good. <laughs> and completely straight off the dome. That wasn't That's, even... Oh, fun. my God. Wow, perfect. You got flow. <laughs> nah, no, I don't. We're playing out with tapes, old pan rhythm. We're going to be back on Thursday. Don't forget, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the podcast. I'm taking that back. Take it back control, Musa. Take back control of the catchphrase. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Stadio, at Stadio Football on Instagram. The website is stadio.football. And yeah, we'll be back in a few days. Stay healthy, stay safe. Say bye, Musa. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>